Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to marketing strategies to regulatory pressures. In the last month, the food and beverage industry rallied around the hundreds of thousands of people whose paychecks were unexpectedly stopped during the partial government shutdown. But even though the government is back up and running for now, more than half of Americans still struggle to eat well and live a satisfying life on their current income. According to the Hartman Group's recently published report titled The Business of Thrift, Understanding Low-Income and Value-Oriented Consumers, 56% of Americans technically qualify as low-income based on the federal poverty guidelines. That is a huge chunk of the population that reaches well into what traditionally would have been considered the middle class. And they're struggling to afford everyday expenses, including food and beverages. It's also in many ways an invisible group, as they're often underrepresented in typical market research for various reasons, prompting many retailers and manufacturers to overlook their needs, and in the process, the marketing potential and loyalty that they could generate by catering to this group's unique needs. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Sarah Marion, the director of syndicated research at the Hartman Group, and Robertson Allen, a senior consultant in the Hartman Group's retainer services, share insights on how low-income Americans approach grocery shopping, including why this is a group that retailers and brands cannot ignore. They also talk about how this group compares to another sizable and influential group of shoppers, those who prize value above all else. The fact that more than half of Americans qualify as low-income shoppers may come as a surprise to some, but as Alan explains, a closer look at the evolution of the economic landscape over the past decade reveals the nation's general economic downward slide has been a long time in the making and likely will take even longer to revitalize. There is this long-term trend that the middle class is shrinking and it has been shrinking for quite some time. Um, and at the same time, this um, what we call the aggregate wealth, household wealth, has really shifted towards the higher income earners um, at the same time. And you compound that with um, the Great Recession that happened 10 years ago. There's still all sorts of different um, kind of residual issues that people are dealing with in the aftermath of that, um, like debt. Millennials especially are really, really saddled with um, things like student debt, um, unable to buy houses at the same rates that, uh, that uh, previous generations were. Um, and so, it, and, and as well as people who have these kinds of retirement savings accounts, um, even though many people have recovered after uh, the Great Recession um, and are, are doing just fine, there was and continues to be a lot of people who are still kind of facing a, a bunch of different kinds of endemic issues. Um, and so we, we looked at kind of the average uh, median income in the U.S. is um, 62000 um, which means if you combine that with the federal poverty guidelines, which is what we used in, in defining what low income actually is, it's a person who makes up to 400% of the federal poverty guidelines. Um, so one person who makes $62,000 is above that mark, but if you have a spouse or children, 
um, and you're making 62000 which is the median income, you're going to be below that 400% uh, federal poverty guideline. Um, so it is really a lot of a lot of people who, who are encompassing that, um, and it is very much uh, the people who um, are regular shoppers at uh, grocery retailers. As regular shoppers, Marion adds that many low-income consumers want the same things as their higher-income counterparts when it comes to health, wealth, and their diet. We speak to consumers across income spectrums, and we knew qualitatively that um, income is not necessarily a good predictor of values. A substantial subset of low-income shoppers really cares about attributes that tend to cost more, like natural, organic, non-GMO, um, premium culinary things. Uh, and on the flip side, a good portion of higher-income shoppers really care about getting the lowest price possible. Um, and so while I think this report shows that the lower your income, the more concerned you have to be with price, um, that doesn't necessarily translate to uh, kind of devaluing premium products mm -hmm. or new services. Um, however, it does affect your access to them. <laughs> what we found is that low-income consumers are really just like everybody else. Uh, they share attitudes with higher-income folks um, when it comes to politics, how to make a difference in society. These are really high-level attitudes, of course. How much sustainability affects their purchasing. Um, most of them are middle of the road, just like most higher-income people are. Uh, Low-income consumers also really aspire to the same things, the same health and wellness goals as everybody else, too. So it's, and that's really a feeling of balance, focus on physical fitness and like feeling good about yourself, dealing with stress properly. Um, and also, like everyone else, they aspire to eat more healthy food, more fresh home-cooked foods, like kind of more satisfying meals with loved ones around. Uh, they're, re they're really very similar. Um, we, we were, in fact, surprised at how similar they were. In terms of where they get inspiration, all that also very similar. Like most of them, they go to the grocery stores, they look at the flyers, um, they look at food packaging, they see you know, food on Instagram and Facebook just like everybody else and get inspired from that. So in all, in all of that, those respects, low-income consumers are broadly similar to higher-income ones. Uh, so they have the same aspirations, they have the same attitudes and definitions about what healthy eating means, how they want to eat, how they want to feel, and what it means to feel good. Um, and then the difference, we start to see differences develop in terms of how they can make those attitudes and aspirations a reality. Um, and it's no surprise that for low-income folks, prices and income are really the barrier to eating the way that they'd like, um, to addressing their health and wellness goals, uh, and to feeling like they get to participate in kind of mainstream food and wellness culture. Uh, so once we, start, we started digging into those, um, attitudinally, uh, low-income consumers really rate themselves lower on a huge variety of measures than higher income consumers do. And that includes like the quality of their diet, how healthy they think their diet is, how fresh and interesting the food is, um, and also their own general health. They tend to rate themselves uh, less healthy overall than higher income folks do. 
Um, they tend to believe they get ill more. Um, and then all of the, we asked, um, one of our questions was, which of these you know, kind of items that might pertain to health and wellness uh, needs to get better in your life? And almost every measure related to mental health and dealing with stress, low-income shoppers really um, felt much more strongly than higher-income shoppers. They needed to improve on that. So our takeaway is that these folks feel stressed out. A lot of that stress comes from working multiple jobs to make ends meet, which means this group places a premium on convenience and predictability, making them very loyal and therefore a group that brands and retailers could benefit from supporting. There's a lot of loyalty that low-income consumers have to specific retailers because uh, a lot of times they know what they're getting, they know about the price range, they're, they're knowledgeable about the kind of rhythm of the sales and um, what, what they might be able to get cheaper at different times of the month and, and so on. Um, and so they're, they're very much engaged with retailers especially and, and to a less extent are engaged in brand loyalty. Low-income shoppers tend to be risk-averse in their purchasing and food choices. Um, so what they need are solutions to help them get more of what they currently buy. And um, in particular, more kind of fresh, healthy foods. Uh, we see that um, as income decreases, shoppers tend to buy, they buy fewer kind of fun, inessential things like ice cream or snacks, but they also really decrease their fresh purchasing. Um, and so solutions, especially at retail, that would allow um, low-income consumers to get more, especially these fresh products like fruit, vegetables, meat, dairy, uh, for less would be really welcome. Um, another takeaway that we haven't quite jumped into yet, but is uh, in terms of shopping strategies, uh, Low-income shoppers really care about that total bill at the end, um, whereas middle and higher-income shoppers tend to focus on getting the best prices for the items they want. They're going to buy those items regardless, and so they don't really the, – the total is less important. Um, but if you save money item by item, they feel they're kind of doing their job by the family budget. Um, whereas for low-income shoppers, that total bill is almost more important than the prices per item. And so anything to bring down that total bill – and so this means that uh, coupons or deals that uh, say like dollars off a total purchase or um, you know, kind of mix and match pricing across, say, a set of produce, uh, you know, apples, bananas, and oranges, take whatever you like for you know, $2 a pound, just as a, to throw out a number. Uh, that helps them get more variety in their basket um, than they otherwise would be able to. And I think a lot of it also has to do with uh, space considerations, this kind of considerations that the uh, low-income consumers are facing, these restrictions of time and space, especially um, the implication being that all, oftentimes they're looking for smaller uh, sizes, portion sizes, which means that they'll be um, maybe more expensive in terms of price per pound or price per size but they're overall cheaper and they're less likely to spoil quickly um, on their shelves. Um, and a lot of times there are 
individuals who do face、um, kind of storage restrictions as well. So, given the time constraints as well as transportation struggles that many low-income consumers face, Allen and Marion said retailers and to a lesser extent brands. Could see a lift by better leveraging e-commerce as a convenient time saver for this group. Grocery delivery and online shopping—it really has the potential to solve a lot of the、uh, kind of time and transportation cost problems that low-income consumers face. But they just perceive it to be more expensive.、Um, yeah. And until you know,、uh, you can reliably show them that it's at least the same price. As shopping in person, I don't see that situation changing. But it's such a missed opportunity. Alan and Marion suggest that retailers might be able to sway more low-income consumers to shop online by lowering the required spends to qualify for delivery, making coupons immediately available rather than requiring them to redeem them by clicking on an extra button or logging into an account. Similarly, the shopping experience needs to be seamless across platforms. Including mobile, as low-income shoppers might not have the same access to a computer as high-income shoppers. Brand manufacturers also can leverage this group's need for fast convenience by offering options that can be kept on hand and come together quickly. Two attributes well suited for the freezer section in particular, according to Marion and Allen. Although they are quick to point out that this category has notable hurdles to overcome as well. Freezer cases is starting to come back to life after a period of the doldrums,、um, and、uh, there's there's probably there's many reasons for this, right? Like a a lot of、uh, there's been a lot of reformulation among、um, companies that、uh, stock products in the freezer case to make things a little bit more interesting with more contemporary kind of、uh, quality cues, nutrition, lean cuisine is a great example.、Um, But I also think that you have this large population of、um, millennials starting to have children, and then also rediscovering the freezer case. And I think we we kind of mentioned it, but not said it specifically.、Uh, if you're looking at millennials, Gen X, and Boomers,、um, the vast majority of low-income consumers are concentrated among millennials, so it's the younger generation.、Uh, and for them, the freezer. Uh, solves a lot of those problems related to fresh. So you、um, can store things longer.、Uh, there's a lot of convenience foods that save time and energy in the freezer,、um, and so they they really rely on the、um, the frozen case in a way that they don't perhaps on、uh, fresh the fresh perimeter, which goes kind of contrary to some of the a lot of the trends that are happening in the grocery store right now, but. Um, even even though that's the case, I think there's still a widespread perception that fresh is healthier, fresh is better, fresh is better tasting, and so some of、uh, that reliance on the、um, on frozen kind of gets translated into I have to give up quality and taste and nutrition in exchange for lower prices, longer storage, and greater convenience.、Um, And you know, one potential way to address that, and there's some, there's some like kind of consumer, there's some marketing that you could do, right, to reposition frozen produce or other kinds of frozen products as kind of 
picked when they're fresh, which a lot of times they are. They're fresher and more nutritious. But um, as complements to a broader meal that you could cook. So maybe you only need to add a little bit of fresh ingredients, uh, you know, just the, the ones that might fit in your budget, a chicken breast, one stalk of broccoli, uh, to another dish. And you've, you've cooked something. You've added in that fresh component to make it feel uh, healthier and fresher. But you, what you get is a very convenient, time-saving, tasty meal. Merchandising is a good way. I mean, my, my example always of good cross-merchandising in the freezer section is Trader Joe's. Yeah. Um, it's easy to browse because the cases are low and open. And then because the cases are low and open, they're able to, to cross-merchandise on top of them. Uh, so if you happen to be over in the frozen meat products, which low-income consumers are more likely to be, are you feeling, here's the meatballs, and how about some pasta and a sauce and uh, some croutons? All you need is a head of romaine, and there you go. You have a meal that comes together in less than 30 minutes. Uh, that's harder to do in a lot of conventional stores where the freezer cases are upright and there's a lot less room, but um, that kind of cross-merchandising inspires consumers across the board, you know, no matter what your income is, um, and provides a solution for that quick home-cooked meal. Other strategies for reaching low-income shoppers depend heavily on why a low-income shopper has limited funds and who exactly they are. A task that may be easier said than done, given that this group cuts across demographic and cultural lines. You really need to get to know who your business's low-income customers are. Uh, so if you have a lot of SNAP customers, that's food stamps again, you know, coordinating promotions in time with those benefit disbursements is really key because that's how you're going to get them into the store. Um, if you have a lot of young parents, millennials, and folks with kids, um, then you need a different kind of mix uh, of products. Um, they, or you need to formulate products that might appeal to this group. These are the folks that really aspire to participate in kind of contemporary food and wellness culture and the, the trends that you see out there right now. But they have the same risk-averse shopping behaviors as other low-income consumers. Um, so they're, they're looking for you know, affordable, tasty, filling, convenient foods. And frozen, again, is a great time saver for them. Uh, but they really do want some of that contemporary nutrition, uh, the quality cues, the culinary cues, without getting too crazy. They need to know it's, good, it's an okay thing to buy. It can't be too risky. But they do want to participate. Um, and so finding that balance will uh, you know, help bring more of those folks into the store, maybe increase their basket size. On the other hand, another group that is not really covered in our report but is also, again, more likely to be low income are elderly shoppers. And so if that's who you're catering to, then you need a completely different mix in your store. Um, and then rural consumers, which we haven't mentioned very much so far, but we do have a, a focus on, um, they are much more traditional in terms of their orientation to food. They like kind of traditional American flavors and uh, cuisines. And so, you know, if you're serving them up uh, kale, lobster, mac, and cheese, they're not as interested in that perhaps as a 
a city dweller is. And so it's hard to offer specific recommendations simply because those populations vary so much depending on who you're serving and where you're located. As retailers and brands pursue the opportunities presented by low-income consumers, Marion and Allen warn them not to confuse low-income shoppers with value-oriented shoppers who are not as strong of a bet for additional marketing efforts. We define value orientation as an attitude. So it's a, it's a focus on price that kind of limits your shopping. Um, <clears throat> so the way that we define them was uh, price had to be extremely important in your food and beverage purchasing um, in, a, in a couple of different ways. And then uh, we also took out anybody who had received SNAP or WIC in the past 12 months um, to kind of differentiate those two groups and to eliminate folks that at least the government deems kind of truly at risk of food insecurity. Um, and so this group really demographically, it looks like the general population, which shouldn't be a surprise because as I mentioned before, kind of deal seeking and prioritized price is an attitude that kind of isn't defined by your income bracket. Um, but uh, this group in general, they're kind of, um, their median income is just a little bit lower than the national average. So this is kind of, you could think of them as the middle of the middle. They're doing all right, they're getting by, but they are under some pressure to tighten the budget. Um, and they're very price sensitive, that's kind of their defining feature. But in a lot of ways, uh, that focus on price reflects an attitude more than a behavior. Um, cause uh, when you look at the numbers, they shop just as many stores as the average person. They buy just as many categories. They spend just as much. They eat out just as much. So they're not actually kind of limiting their shopping, at least in a um, kind of high-level way, based on that price orientation. What they are doing is uh, when they're at the store, they tend to buy the lowest price, kind of best deal. So. If you're talking about value, the value-oriented consumer, these are the shoppers that um, kind of drive all over town to follow the sales. They go through all the flyers every week and shop at multiple stores depending on what the best deal is. Uh, they kind of lurk in the clearance and markdown sections looking for a good deal. And they're probably the least loyal to brand or retailer of any shopper. Um, and as an example, we spoke to a, um, a man here in Seattle, and uh, normally it doesn't, what he spends at the grocery store doesn't matter that much to him, um, but he and his wife will every week or two drive all the way down outside the city to the south part of the county to go to the next county to buy soda, so they won't pay the soda tax. It's a 45-minute drive or so. Yeah. <laughs> Um, does that save him any money? We're not sure. But uh, he thinks that it does, and that's kind of what's important. Um, and I think if you're, if you're uh, in the food business, really these shoppers are interested in any deal that they can get. Uh, they're not um, as loyal in the way that low-income shoppers are generally to a retailer. And so in some ways it might serve you better to focus on your low-income customers, since we know that they can be loyal, rather than this value-oriented shopper who is really just going to follow the prices wherever they're lowest.
Even though we've only scratched the surface of all the data and insights in the Hartman Group's report on the business of thrift, we have reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope you enjoyed this installment. If you're interested in learning more, you can find out more information about the report at the Hartman Group's website and also on our own website where we'll link to the report and the story that goes with this podcast. That said, I hope you'll join me again next week for another installment of our podcast. And to make sure that you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes. Until then, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive and profitable week. 